In the name of Jesus, who is coming soon, amen. Dear friends in Christ, did you listen to the words that you just sang over and over again in the hymn we just finished singing? Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. They're the same words that are in our epistle lesson for today, where St. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Celebrate. Delight. Exult in God. He's coming to save you from your sin, after all. He's coming to take on human flesh, to be born of the Virgin Mary, wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. And he's doing it all for one purpose, one reason alone, dying on the cross, dying to forgive you your sin, dying so that you can live forever, world without end. Dying so that you might live without sorrow, sin, suffering, illness, taxes, politics. Dying so that you might live without death. That's why Jesus is coming. That's what he's earned for you by his birth and by his cross. You are saved from sin. Rejoice! Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord always. Well, Paul must not have known what our lives would be like. Paul must not have understood our circumstances. Paul, when he said rejoice, couldn't see forward into the future to the year 2020, where we just haven't been that joyful, have we? It's been a depressing year after all. With lots of hardship. Uncertainty. And difficulty. And in all of our struggles, in all of our frustrations from this year, Rather than rejoicing in the Lord always, we've gotten a little bit grouchy, haven't we? We've spent a lot of time mourning the loss of things that we love. Youth sports, eating out in a restaurant, seeing smiling faces, going to watch a Husker football game in person, 
maybe even them winning. Gathering together with family at holidays. Visiting a loved one in a nursing home. We haven't gotten to do those things this year, have we? They seem to be things of the past, things that are over, things that have died. And we mourn them. It's like all the joy that we could have had in this year has been sucked out of the room. How's that affected you? Well, without the things we love in this world, we've become a little less reasonable in dealing with others, haven't we? I think our lack of reasonableness is really a result of the election that took place this year, isn't it? Part of the strategy of modern politics is to divide the people. To get you to believe that if your candidate loses, the whole world will fall apart. And that those people who are not in your political party, who are not on your team, are the spawn of Satan and need to be destroyed. They breed hate against the other side. It comes out like this. Orange man, bad. Biden is a buffoon. And those thoughts divide us from people that we used to talk to. We become hypercritical rather than reasonable. Perhaps even we become violent. Well, some have, right? You've seen it on the news. You've seen things burned down. You've seen the protests. And it makes us anxious about the world, doesn't it? Anxious, affixed with worry about all the things going on, about our health, about how things will turn out, about our retirement portfolio, about what will happen tomorrow or the next day or the next. Will there be conflict? More riots? Riots on my street? Will we get sick? Will we be hospitalized? Will we die? 
Will we still have our jobs or will we not? Will we be able to pay the mortgage or the heat bill? We worry and worry and worry. We stay up all night thinking about these things. We get angry at those people that we think are the cause of the problem. We point fingers, we throw blame around, mostly behind people's backs, not actually talking to the person we're frustrated at. And so, our peace is gone. Just like our joy is gone. And we live unreasonably anxious, overwhelming lives. Dear Christian, do you know what's behind all of this? Our sin. Our guilt. How can that be, Pastor? How can our sin be behind all of these things? Because we're not trusting Christ. You know, Jesus who said, I have overcome the world. Who said, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Yes. Jesus also taught us to forgive, to love our neighbor, to show compassion to them in their times of need. Jesus, who said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus promises to take care of things, at least in the long term. Do you trust him? Do you believe him? Is he telling the truth? It's sin if we don't trust him. And even our lack of joy is sin. I mean, think about it. 
What is there in this world that Christ has not taken care of? What problem is there that he has not solved? Think of your biggest worry right now. The one that is keeping you from joy. Has Christ taken care of it? Does his cross count for that worry? Of course it does. Hasn't Christ made the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear? Hasn't he cured horrible diseases like leprosy, like dropsy? Doesn't he have control of the wind and the waves? Can't he stop a storm in its tracks? And even if you die, hasn't he promised, yet shall you live? What problem is there that your Lord Jesus has not provided a solution for? And yet our eyes, so fixed with worry on our anxieties, on our concerns, and on our challenges, fail to see what God has done. Rather than our eyes being fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, they get clouded by weeping, suffering, anger, and look other places. Dear Christian, repent. Repent of this sin. Know that your lack of faith in Christ is sin and repent of it and believe that Christ has taken care of all the sorrows, the sufferings, the challenges, the difficulties that could possibly exist in this world. His blood has covered over every single challenge that you face. He's made it well, by his life, death, and resurrection. He's caused a solution to be made well known to you. That doesn't mean it's going to be easier. It doesn't mean you're not going to get sick or that you'll keep your job. It doesn't mean you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise in this world. But it does mean this world is not the end. This world is not the culmination of your life. He's given you salvation. 
forgiveness, mercy, peace. Because of your Savior, Jesus Christ, you will be resurrected on the last day. You will be taken by God to the new heaven and earth to live face to face with God in his kingdom, world without end. The finest wines, the best of foods, the best hymns to sing. Your body will not grow old there. It will not fall apart. Your joints will work. It'll be perfect. Forever. Christ gives this to you. Freely. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it. He bestows it upon you by His grace and mercy. That's your end, if you can even call it an end. And that knowledge allows us to face the challenges of this world moment by moment, day by day, year by year. Even in the hard years, Christ's promise is true. Our Lord sustains us. He keeps us in the one true faith. He guides our wandering eyes right back to Him time and time again here in the divine service. He gives us the food of heaven to sustain us as we journey through this veil of tears and sorrows. The very body and blood of Jesus. He washes away our sin and guilt and shame in the waters of baptism. It's not just a one time long ago washing away. It happens every day. He permeates our ears with his word, with preaching. And where the word is, the Holy Spirit is drawing us back to Christ. He calls us to the faith. He keeps us in the faith. He constantly refreshes us from the weariness of this world so that we may again have joy in Him. And you're not alone in your joy. We are really in this together. Not just in the cliche ways that the politicians are using right now. We are the body of Christ. We care for one another. We support one another. We love one another. We dry each other's tears when we mourn. We call each other back when we stray and wander. We together are sustained by our Lord Jesus Christ in the one true faith. And so we share the joy of God with one another. 
That's the fruit of faith. Joy. That even if we die in Christ, we shall live. That even if we lose our job in Christ, we have everything. That even if we're sick, in Christ we'll be made well. That's our joy. Joy, just like St. Paul writes about. Joy, always. Joy in the promises of God. Joy in the body of Christ. Joy in our coming Lord and Savior. He's coming to rescue us from this place. And nothing can take that joy away. The joy of Christ can be there while we mourn. The joy of Christ can be there while we're alone, while we weep, while we suffer. The joy of Christ is ever-present for the Christian in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. 500 years ago or so, in a sermon for the fourth Sunday of Advent, Martin Luther wrote it this way. This text, though short, is a suggestive and important lesson in Christian faith. It teaches how we should conduct ourselves towards God and our neighbor. It says simply, rejoice in the Lord always. Joy is the natural fruit of faith. The apostle says elsewhere, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Until the heart believes in God, it is impossible for it to rejoice in Him. When faith is lacking, man is filled with fear and gloom and is disposed to flee at the very mention, the mere thought of God. But when faith in the gospel exists in the heart, God is recognized as favorable and pleasing. The heart confidently feels his favor and grace and only these. It fears not God's chastisement. It is secure and in good spirit because God has conferred upon it through Christ superabundant goodness and grace. Such is the rejoicing of which Paul speaks, a rejoicing where is no sin, no fear of death or hell, but rather a glad and all-powerful confidence in God and in His kindness. And so it is that Paul says, and we listen, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Dear Christian, this Christmas season, this year, 
this lifetime. Let your joy be in Jesus, who's overcome everything else. In the name of Jesus, who is coming to bring us joy, amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.